We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. We're turning again to the book of James. Okay, here we are. In our last meeting, we started on this journey in the book of James. We have had good teaching in the book or from the book of James not so long ago and many times over the years. So I am now circling back uh, with a prayer that this revisit will also be of help to us. It is helping me, and I trust that it will help others to go back again and look again and consider again what we find in this little epistle. One of the things that we understand and know is that in the book of James, we see evidence of a lot of different kinds of problems or trials or situations uh, among the believers. And we can say that churches, local churches, and the people in them experience the same sorts of things and it's a perennial concern that these kinds of things happen. And we need to understand that and have some ideas of how to, how to understand and think about it and what to do. So the principles that James provides in this epistle on how to think about these things are good for all of us to meditate on. And so now we will get, go back now to the first Verse in this epistle, in James chapter 1. And I think what I'd like to do this time is just simply to read a good portion, and then I'll come back and make comments. And that way we can kind of have in our mind a broader sense than just the little pieces that I will be particularly commenting on. So, So allow me just now to read. James a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he shall receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. He is drawn away by his own desires. Then, when desire has conceived, it brings forth or gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of fresh fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak, slow to wrath, to hear, to speak, to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer, of the word and not a doer. 
He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But who, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction or in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And now in chapter 1, in verse 1, we see the greetings, we see the introduction that James gives in this epistle. When we started two weeks ago, we took note of the fact that there were two ways by which James identifies himself. First, he makes a reference to his, his name, the name James. And as we pointed out, there were a number of people who bore the name James in his context, in his milieu. And we concluded that the James, who is the author of this epistle, is the one who was born to Mary, the mother of Jesus. After Jesus was born, she had other children, and we believe this James was one of them and that he is indeed the author here. We also took note of the fact that James uses one other designation of himself, and that is he calls himself a bond servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. So the bond servant, he's showing a special connection that he has to the Lord, Bondservant is a word that was not simply used exclusively in this book or in the New Testament use, but there were other uses so that a person could be a bondservant to others. But he says he was a bondservant to the Lord Jesus Christ, one who was serving him. We also said that this bond servanthood that this James has was not a negative thing. It was a positive thing. It was not a denigration, but an elevation. That to be a, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is a high position, not a low one. And so he is saying this, but it also shows the in the way that he introduces by simply using these two. We can see the idea of humility 
that in introducing himself this way, James is not bringing undue focus upon himself. He puts the Lord Jesus Christ out front. He doesn't talk about his, what we might call pedigree, that he is a brother of the Lord. He doesn't talk about in a prominence that he may have in the church in Jerusalem. We talked about how he became a very prominent man in that assembly, an important figure, one referred to as one of the pillars of the church. But he doesn't bring any of that into this introduction. And so we can think of him as a man who was a humble man, but he had a mission. He had something to say. And there were people to whom he needed to say it, people who needed to hear and to listen and to see, well, what is this epistle saying to me? Or, to rephrase, what is God saying to me through this epistle written by James? And I think we should think about it in that way. So he was a bond servant. He was a humble man. And we saw that, and we pointed to some references last time, that in the era in which James was writing, the believers were in a very difficult time in terms of persecution and all of that. We talked about Stephen. Stephen was a man who was a prominent deacon in the church. But he was martyred, martyred. He was put to death, not for wrongdoing, but for rightdoing. Not for looking, not for having allegiance to the wrong one, but for having allegiance to the right one. He was put to death. They stoned him to death. And there was a man who was called Saul who consented to the death, the stoning of, Saul, of Stephen. That man later became known, known as the Apostle Paul. But when Stephen was facing his death, this man was one of the leaders of the Tyran squad about what was being done. The marvel of what God can do in a heart, in a life, it's just really beyond our imagination. But he did a marvel with Paul, and he did a marvel with each one of us who believes these things and have our faith in that same Christ who died for us. And so we saw there that in their context, they were scattered, scattered abroad. We brought reference to how after Stephen's death, there was a scattering. But the scattering resulted in them going from place to place with that gospel message. It's almost like the scattering seed. But this was the means by which it came. And so when we look at that in a historical context, we can't say that it was a bad thing that they were scattered. 
we can say that it was difficult. The circumstances under which they were scattered were difficult for them. But we can't say that it was a bad thing. God was in control. He had a program. And he was executing his program through those who were doing evil and those who were doing good. God was in control. They had never ceded that control. In the second verse, or verses 2 through 4, we too come to the word trials. And so I label in my notes that section. I said, well, what about trials? How to think about them and why? He says here, James, he says, my brethren. And I mentioned this as well before, that if we think about the ways in which he identified himself, James, a servant or a bond servant of the Lord, and now brethren, or one of the brothers. <laughs> and so now we have three ways he actually has designated himself. But one of the significances of this word brethren introduced here is that James is not elevating himself above them as if to say, I'm looking down to tell you. But he's putting himself on the plane, same plane as they are. He's saying, I am one of you. And so what I have to say to you, it also applies to me. My brethren, that's a dearing a term of endearment, the way that's expressed. And then here's what he says. He says, count it all joy. Notice the next word. A very significant word, which sometimes we would like to have a different word there. It says, when. When you fall into various trials. And I said we might like to have a different word. We like to have the word if. And we would like that if to not to eventuate <laughs> so that we don't have to deal with all these things that come. But this James is saying, when count it all joy. Now I would submit that if that expression is used as a standalone, it really doesn't seem to make much sense. If it's used as a standalone, somebody's going through trials and troubles and problems, and you just say to them, just be joyful, <laughs> just be happy, just rejoice. That doesn't make any sense. Stand by itself. And this is not a standalone. It's not a standalone. It's not rendered as a standalone. But it does seem to indicate a state of mind that has a significance to it. And so I want to bring attention to four things that are here. I want to note four points. So when I say that this uh, what he's saying to them, count it all joy, is not, is not a standalone. Consider these four points. First of all, 
and I've already said this one, know that trials will be your experience. You will experience trials. That's one. The second point, know that a good response to the trials produces something. Well, according to this text, the way it's translated to us, it produces patience. Okay, so that's one and two. Know that trials will come. Know that a good response will produce patience. The third one is, this one is a command. But there is that word, therefore. So that connects what the two no phrases were and says, therefore, or as a consequence of, because of, let, he says, let patience have its perfect work. And I said, that's, that's rendered in the present tense and in the imperative mode, which means that's a command. That's interesting. The fourth one of my points here in these four is this. Know that the consequence of following the command, let, leads to a good outcome. Know that. And so if you take those four points in consideration of count it all joy, you see that the thing can't be lifted out as a standalone, but then it's, it is text. It makes a lot of sense. And so know that you will experience trials. Don't consider, as you would think uh, about 1 Corinthians 10, don't consider it your trials are some strange thing that has happened to you but hasn't happened to anybody else. That's uh, because the trials will be a part of your experience of ours. Or as it says in Corinthians, that uh, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common. And that God is faithful and that he will provide a way of escape that it can be endured the situation, be able to endure. So trials will come. Testing. Trying. Things coming along through which proofs can be seen as to what a person is all about. And that good response. And so then the command to let is something to do, obey. So how do people respond to trials? There are good ways and bad ways. Good things and bad things. Sometimes there are trials that are self-inflicted. Sometimes there are trials that are other-inflicted afflicted by others, and sometimes there are trials that are just what we might call the normal course of life. 
It's just things that happen to people. But they're trials nonetheless. And if we know that as James here, as a bondservant, a doulos, of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are connected to him in that way, then we can look to him to say, help us now to allow these trials to have a good outcome in me, in my life. So that now, after the four points that I have here, we come to a purpose clause. And so it's not just to know, but something to know. And the purpose clause is this, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so this counts it all joy, and you know that you need to be patient. You know that patience produces a good result, a good thing. And so you're having a good behavior about it, a good response, a good way to think about it. But you also know that obeying and allowing this process, that it's doing something to you that's good, making you mature, uh, making me mature, making us mature, making us so that we're complete, so that we are, you know, we can say, as we are being molded into what the Lord wants for us, being molded and shaped to be more like Christ, who is our Savior. And so let command, the let command is connected to the purpose clause. And so we think about those and keep in our minds that these things are a package, not things just to be lifted out, but to be thought of as a package. So now we're going to move on to verses 5 through 8. What to do if wisdom is lacking? Five Verses 5 through 8. Now, I can raise this question. Who is not lacking in wisdom in some area of life right now? See, what to do if wisdom is lacking? So the epistle is telling us here what to do. And I want us to pay attention and notice what it says here. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, back to my standalone word, the word I use, standalone. Should this be lifted out as a standalone verse? Well, you know the answer to it. I raised it in a rhetorical way. Right? But it's not a standalone either. So, it says here first of all, a recognition of a lack. And that comes before even asking for some help from God to solve the lack. If we lack wisdom, but we're not discerning enough to realize that we are lacking it, we don't ask. If we need something, we don't realize we need it. We don't ask. And so there has to be some discernment. There has to be some 
self-knowledge. Or as Pastor likes to tell us, we need to be mindful of self-evaluation so that we can know about these things. And then that puts us in a place to be able then to recognize there is something for which specifically I ought to be praying and asking for help from the Lord. So if you ask for wisdom and say, so he says here, though, to come to God that way, he not, he's not going to be doing something, you know, bashing you or embarrassing you and all that sort of thing. He says that it, without reproach. Liberally, he will give. And this is, and it will be given. <laughs> we want to sometimes just be able to ask by saying the words and have it be given. But asking in a proper fashion is not merely the voicing of words. Any person who can speak can say the words. But proper asking is not just words. The words may be out of the abundance of the heart and speaking the truth as it ought to be. And they may be consistent one with the other. But words can also be deceiving. And the mouth can speak that which is not true. And so there's more to it. And so we see more to it. Let's move to the next verse where he says, but let him ask in faith. There you go. In faith. Who can ask in faith? First of all, who can ask in faith? Who? Who qualifies to do that? I'm bringing this to say this, that when James says he's a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's significant. And that when he says to them that God, by his own will, brought them forth by the word of truth, that's significant. And so my proposition is that there are people who can ask in faith and to have this to be their proper place. But then they, they need first to be in the faith. That's what I'm proposing. To be in Christ, to be one of his, to be one who has been born from above, to be one who is one of God's children. Ask in faith. Then it says, no doubt and don't doubt, but put your whole faith in him and trust. He who doubts, he says, is like a wave of the sea. You know, you ever have little, little, little floaties that you put on the water sometimes, you just see those things bobbing, going about, and say, wow, you know. Who would want to be like that in their way of thinking in, mind, in their mindset? Driven by the sea, a wave of the sea, tossed by the wind. And then it says in verse number seven, let not that man suppose that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man. Back to the self-evaluation. We need to know if we're double-minded in the way we look at life and our circumstances and what we're dealing with. And if we are, we need to look to the Lord 
to help us be delivered from that. And it's one of those kinds of things where the way I'm thinking about this is that we can be clear on certain things and go along right well and then hit a bump in the road and we are wavering all over the place again. It's a continual thing that we need to do. He talks about the word later in the chapter and going in the word, being in the word, and continually there. And that's how we get to be stable by being in the word and, and keeping our proper place to be where we should be. So asking in faith is an important thing. And so we can't just pick out, ask, and it will be given. Some people, the way that they have dealt with these things, and some folks are quite in the habit of using scriptures or verses in isolation and latch on to a verse like this one in verse number three, and as if it's a whole package. And then sometimes what will happen is somebody will say, you know, I asked God and he didn't give. Isn't that something? But this verse tells us that there are some who ought not to expect to receive. Are you one of them? And if it's so, then you ask you didn't receive. But there was a reason for that. This is not implying that we are going to be able to get ourselves in a place where everything is in proper alignment perfectly and sort of whatever we pray and ask, we will see the thing we are asking. If we're asking for a specific outcome, it's not saying that. But I think what it's teaching us is that we are to discipline ourselves and consider ourselves and think about the mindset so that we can approach these things in ways that are helpful. And I think I will pause for, for this one. I, I plan to be back next week and we'll move on and talk about some of the other things here. But, but the way that, that I'm looking at this and the way that I'm seeing this is is that we are coming to this book, and this book is very practical, and it has practical advice. But the best use of it is to be prepared and ready to receive it. And that starts with being a believer in Christ. And then to be actively involved in trying to walk uprightly before him. And then trials as they come. We can find ourselves able to have a joy about us. Not that we are rejoicing that the trial is calm, has come, or rejoicing that we're having difficulty. That's not the idea. But that God is at work. That's what we're rejoicing about. And so these problems that we have, these trials, these testings 
these refining experiences that God is working together all these things for the good of those who love him. Let's close with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we bow our heads before you. We thank you. For thou art God, the Almighty One, who gave his Son, the only begotten, for such lost ones as we are, or as we were before his intervention in our lives. And now we are asking for continued help as we continue on this journey until that day when with Christ we shall be. We're asking his precious name with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you very much. I appreciate your kind attention.